We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, and along with me on our latest journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Nobody puts Bill in a corner. I had to do it, Bill. I had to. I know it's pandering, but we would have gotten skewered by our audience particularly our female audience, I have a feeling, if we if I just didn't do something with that quote. I mean, it's you have to, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is the quote. It is the and quote. I'm going to say right off the top of the bat, I'm going to use the word iconic. I'm going to do it. I just did it. There you it's go. iconic. It is the iconic quote. Nobody puts Bill in a corner. That's actually baby, right? Yeah. I, I think of it as Bill, though. I can't believe it. I've, I've never used that quote with you before, personally. In any situation, probably not. I don't think I remember. I wish I were that clever. Any of us ever using that quote. To I am for sure now. Sweet. So it was, yeah, I mean, it's either I was going to do that quote or here's the other choice okay. for the quote for tonight's show. Bill, you just put your pickle on everybody's plate, college boy, and leave the hard stuff to me. <laughs> I think you made the right choice. You think? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right, that's right, listeners. Today's movie is the 1987 romantical drama Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, directed by Emile Ardolio. This movie is rated PG-13 with a running time of one hour and 40 minutes. This film won one Oscar for Best Music Original Song. So this episode is number two of our Salute to Summer at the Cinema series where all the movies we discuss in the month of July take place during the summer. 
So what's this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local mom and pop video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. Heartthrob Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, and dancing sensation Cynthia Rhodes star in this electrifying and sensual film. A vivid love story, Dirty Dancing is set to pounding rhythms and vibrant dance, guaranteed to be the time of your life. It's summer 1963. Baby, 17 years old in all idealistic innocence, is vacationing with her parents in the Catskills. While exploring the resort grounds late one evening, she is drawn to the staff quarters by stirring music. There she meets Johnny, the hotel dance instructor, as experienced in life as Baby is naive. Mesmerized by the sexy beats and uninhibited movements of dirty dancing, Baby soon becomes Johnny's prized pupil in dance and in love. Dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. There we oh, go. it's dirty, Bill. Are you ready to get dirty with me? Let's do it. Are you feeling dirty tonight, Bill? How are you, man? Uh, I just took a shower like two hours ago, so I'm oh, pretty clean right now, to be honest. Squeaky clean. Yeah, I am squeaky clean. I'll have you know I'm nasty right now. I'm going to use this nasty voice, this dirty voice for the entire podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. Yes. Long show. Anywho, Bill, this this movie this movie is very popular. You don't have to do much research to, to figure that out. No, not at all. This was a sleeper hit. And all that jazz, to use a dance term. I mean, it would, I mean, it's, it's beyond, we were just talking before recording tonight about if you go down the rabbit hole of videos related to this, it's endless. Oh, it's not stop. And I, you know, it's just something, you know, in my, it's not necessarily in my wheelhouse, this particular film or or genre at this point of time in, in the present at my age as a male, but you know what? I mean, I respect the hell out of it. I just, the the staying power that this film has. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this movie was not made for us. Let's be no, honest about it. This no, was no. Not, we were nowhere in the demographic for when this movie came out. And it was a long time until I saw it. But watching it again recently for this podcast, I certainly do appreciate it. I'll be honest, it's a, it's a flawed film. Sure. But I certainly see why it is so popular. I get it. I get it. Oh, a hundred percent. I totally agree with you. And we will get into that. I just, yeah, wanted to pre- uh, preface this show by saying how I just have a newfound respect for it, what it means to people. Because again, you just Google it, just Google it and see what happens. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm glad to have seen it again. And uh, we'll get into the earliest memories right now. Um, so this will be fun, man. It's great to revisit this one. It's a big yeah. movie. It's huge. So yeah, let's go to earliest memories. Jason, you can certainly go first. Okay. Thank you, Bill Bant. So far as I recall, I most likely saw this film in the theater with my family. And that was with good reason. It was probably mostly due to the fact that the content was dancing. I would have been about 13 years old uh, that summer going in. It was released in August. Is that correct, Bill? Late August, yes. So I was still 13, and I was just at the end of my dancing career uh, with uh, Kim Calla's dance studio. 
which I have to mention, Bill, uh, that studio was located in Lake Villa, Illinois. In a previous podcast, I had mentioned my dance experience as a youth, and I believe I misspoke in saying that Kim Calla's dance studio was located in Antioch. That was incorrect. And I had been in dance with my sister uh, since I was five years old. I was studying ballet, tap, jazz, and some gymnastics. And we were part of a competition group called Dance Magic. So what we would do at that time as youths, I mean, uh, as well as our instructor, Kim Calla, we would all try to stay somewhat in touch with the contemporary dance styles. And so when a dance movie came out, we'd go see it. Uh, and whether it were, you know, Flashdance, Footloose, Breakin', White Nights, or of course, Dirty Dancing, uh, all 80s films, Right. This was all during the time that my sister and I were dancing. So uh, we wanted to see what was popular and what was relevant in the world dance. Uh, Moving into the the film itself, uh, as far as earliest memories, I mean, I remember that atmosphere of the woods retreat uh, in upstate New York. It's a beautiful location in the film. Uh, We'll find out later in Facts and Trivia where they actually shot it. But the, the, the place is extremely romantic. So I always remember that, the forestation, the rain. And I remember, of course, the staff quarters where the entertainment staff resides. And, of course, the dim lighting and the, the entertainment staff doing their dirty dancing in the sweat and the heat. And that beautiful blonde, Cynthia Rhodes, she was clearly a standout, extremely talented dancer. I always remember her. Baby's training montage. I always remember that. Uh, Jennifer Grey as our lead female protagonist, Baby, Baby Hausman, uh, otherwise known as Frances Hausman. Uh, her awkwardness and then her arc through the montage and then becoming in sync and uh, figuring it all out. Uh, the love story, of course, the fitting in of it, the uh, class separation in the film. These are all early memories, things I remember immediately when I think about the movie. Of course, the here we go. I'm going to use that word again. Iconic scene in the dance studio to that classic song, Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia. You can't not think of that scene, in my opinion, in association with this movie. The soundtrack, it's incredible. Classic, classic rock. The oldies, the goodies. Those are the songs I love from that. You know, the 50s and 60s. I'll be honest with you. Actually, I'm going to share a little bit of something here. That's the one thing I bought off of the Time Life series. You remember the late night infomercials? I don't know if they still oh, run yeah. them where you just dial the number and get this, you know, buy this collection, you'll get this CD included for free and whatnot. I did that with Time Life for the 50s and 60s music collection. And I still have those CDs today and I still listen to them to this day, like oh, prized wow. possession, like best one of the best purchases I ever made. And it was, yeah. You know, uh, so I'm a big fan of that kind of music. And obviously the soundtrack uh, is compiled of those songs. And going back to my first share about my dancing as a youth, I did experience some embarrassment and a little bit of ridicule for being a male dancer in the early 80s. And so I always remember seeing this movie and Patrick Swayze being somewhat of an idol because he made dancing masculine for me. He could lead, he owned it, he made it attractive for men to want to dance. And I'll be honest, it was a way to be close to a woman and to attract a woman. And I knew for a fact, especially after this movie, women love men who can dance. 
period. Oh, yes. So we'll, I'm going to get a little bit more into the dancing aspect, uh, especially from a male perspective. But that's what I've got for earliest memories, man. How about you, Bill Bent? Oh, so for me, like I said, this movie was not geared towards me, not marketed towards me. So it was a long time until I saw this movie. And at that point, I was sick of hearing the songs from the, <laughs> the, the was like the, all you heard was music from Dirty Dancing on the radio after this movie came out. And it was, it was huge. So really, the first time I saw it was on TV, like with commercials, TV. That's how long out until I finally saw this movie. So, oh, wow. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, it okay. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a rental. It wasn't, you know, off one of your uh, movie channels. It was just regular TV. I was over at a friend's house, happened to be a female. And she's like, Dirty Dance is on. Do you want to watch it? And I was like, yeah, sure. I've never seen it. You know, it's like, you've never seen this before? I'm like, no, I haven't. And yeah, we just, you know, just watched it and had pizza or whatever. But even then, I'll be honest, when I watched it, I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. But yeah, I do remember, you know, being surprised, but there was a whole plot line with the abortion sure yeah that entire subplot yeah the whole you know the lift scene you can't you can't forget that especially when they're i'm glad you brought that up thank you i was i would be remiss if i didn't mention that also as an early memory i mean it has i mean it's the most obvious thing Mm -hmm. i i talked about the one scene in the studio with the uh mickey and sylvia song but that's the most that's the most memorable scene right oh yeah i had the time of my life the lift scene yes and just seeing Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, because at that point, really, only I only really knew Jennifer Grey from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and then the fact that they were together in Red Dawn, and right. Patrick Swayze was kind of hit and miss for me. Okay, yeah, so it was kind of good to see this, but I think it really was not until I watched it again recently that now I've learned as I've gotten older to appreciate this film. There you go. Yeah, look at that. There's your own personal arc. With Dirty Dancing. I like it. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, one of the things which is interesting about, like like I said, now that I've gotten older and, and now I kind of get what made this so popular. Because before then, I was just like, you know, to me, it was it was a chick flick. Sure. When I watched it again for the podcast, I was thinking to myself, like, say the roles were reversed. Say it was a boy as in the baby role. And then he, you know, he goes to his resort to his parents and he meets this hot dance teacher. And the whole thing is him trying to, I don't want to say make it with the girl, but at least well, he falls in love. A relationship ensues. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could totally, I could get behind that. Sure. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I, I would have loved this movie then because it was a guy, from a guy's perspective. Right. So I was like, yeah, okay. Now I get it. Now I get why women love this movie so much because it is, I mean, like Jennifer Grey is cute. She's cute. Oh, she's adorable. Absolutely. And she's up against, well, she thinks she's up against Cynthia Rhodes, who's attractive. So it's the attractive versus cute aspect of it. It was like, what is it about Johnny that makes him decide baby over Penny? I mean, we do find out that they had a relationship and it, it kind of ran its course. But right. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like to talk about that. I want to talk about that a little bit later on for sure. Mm-hmm. Keep going. And yep. putting yourself in baby shoes, when you see you have that obstacle in front of you and seeing someone on, let's just say, on the other side of the tracks, per se, this is this is like right. a lot of stuff she's got to overcome. And I think it was interesting to really see how that 
all came about. Because, yeah, this is really an eye-opening experience. I mean, these three weeks for her is really a big change in her life. A lot happens. Yeah, yeah a lot happens. A lot happens. Because I had to keep thinking, I'm like, this. all this just happens in three weeks? Right. Oh, I, I, yeah. I yeah. always had to remind myself of that fact. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely have a, a deep appreciation for this film. There's just some aspects of the writing that I was like, uh yeah, oh, I, that's completely understandable from a writing uh, perspective. But it looks great. It was well acted in. I mean, you definitely had some seasoned actors in it, so it didn't come no off doubt. as like cheesy if it was like a first-time film. And I think I even appreciate the movie more about doing all the behind-the-scenes research for it, whereas they really had no money to make this movie. Oh, yeah, and I have no idea. Sure. So they had to pull every string or do whatever they could to get this movie made. And then when it was finished, everybody told them, yeah, this movie sucks. It's not going to do well. It's, it's in the research. In, uh, yeah. According to Wikipedia, it was actually said to burn the negative and collect the insurance. Oh, yeah. That's what they said after the initial screenings. Yeah. Yeah. Like both. I heard stories both from Jennifer Gray's agent and Patrick Swayze tell them like, oh, this movie's going to bomb. Why did you do this? And even we talk about the release date in August. This was like late, late August. This wasn't like an early August. Let's hopefully sneak this in. It's going to be a you know late summer blockbuster. No, this right. was like end August. I'm surprised it didn't come out in February, which is usually the dumping grounds for when sure. studios think of this kind of movie. But yeah, it just it just works. It's a flawed film that works. It's the magic of movies, man. It all sounds great in your head as the screenwriter. You know, she want I I I don't have her name right in front of me. I apologize, um, Eleanor Eleanor Bergstein. Thank you, Eleanor Bergstein. She uh, she had it all in her mind. I mean, it's based on her own story, her life story. Yeah, it's aspects of her life. Anyway. Great. I'm sure we'll talk about that later on. But it's great. And it sounds extremely romantic and beautiful. But you just don't know. There are so many components that go into the filmmaking process. You don't know what you're going to get in the end. And especially when everyone saw the rough cut, et cetera, and it was going to be, it was predicted to be such a huge flop. It's sometimes just impossible to predict uh, the result, what people are going to like for whatever reason. That's the magical. There's so many different things have to come together in a particular movie to make it work and to make it palatable for a certain demographic or age group. This one just got to the heart of it. It just had such a strong appeal on a visceral level for so many people. Yeah, because there's kind of an honesty to it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I'm almost kind of jumping ahead. It's not a favorite scene, but there's a scene that really resonated with me. Whereas when you kind of find out what Johnny sees in baby mm -hmm. and it's like the positivity, the confidence she right. exudes. And she's like, no, that's not me at all. And I was like, yeah, people go through that all the time. It's people have a perception of you positive oh, absolutely. or negative. And then like you think yourself, I'm like, no, that's not who I am. Or why do you see me that way? I really like that exchange. So I'm like, yeah, God, I can relate to that. So many instances in my life I can look at like that, where someone perceived me one way and they were right or wrong. Or it was like, yeah, why do you think of me like that? Or why don't you think of me like that? Mm -hmm. so I thought that was a really good moment in the film. And I think I'm sure that resonated with a lot of people that were watching it too. It's you think you're one person but at least everybody was seeing her in a more positive light. Here she is. She's more shy and afraid, mm -hmm. but that's not how everyone sees her. She is a confident, you know, helpful person. I really respected that aspect of the film. 
I agree. I agree. I hadn't seen this film, to be completely honest, in probably over 30 years. And I had not recalled those particular smaller scenes in between the music and the dancing and uh, the showy aspect of the movie, uh, because that's what I remember. That's what I was kind of looking forward to. And for the more you know memorable, popular scenes from the film. But there are, you know, speaking of the writing from a writer's perspective, what I think does tie it all together are those little in-between moments. And sometimes there in this particular movie, those scenes are brief, but it does give the movie its humanity, right? And some believability and relatability to the relationships in these people as human beings, which is what we're always searching innately. We're looking for these qualities in these people so we can connect to the movie, to the characters. And in that particular scene, I believe that you're talking about I think is when baby goes up to see Johnny. This is after they had visited Penny and she's recovering. It's actually after her father has just administered is saving her after a botched abortion. Yes. And her father wants a lot for baby and, and sees this whole scenario unfold and is very judgmental and very judgmental of Johnny being a part of it the abortion scenario and all these things. He just passes judgment on it immediately without the, all the details and baby witnesses her father passing judgment on Johnny, who she's falling in love with. And she goes after Johnny goes up to his quarters. And there's that scene where they just reveal themselves where what you're talking about, what we do as human beings all the time, we're always covering, right? We're all actors unto our own because we're always trying to put on a good face when we walk outside the door. And here you have Johnny Castle, played by Patrick Swayze. And by the way, Bill Bant, yes. uh, I am going to name my firstborn either Jack Burton or Johnny Castle. <laughs> and both names will be my son's first name. So everyone will have to call them or call him Johnny Castle. It's not just Johnny. It'd be Johnny Castle Massick. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it would, yeah, that would be the middle name would be Soaks. But I still like. So it's either Jack Burton Massick or Johnny Castle Massick. All right. Uh, you know, I still, I got to work it out. I got to work it out. So it's a work in progress, but. Uh, JBM or JCM. All right. You know, they work. Either way, I just went, now I'm just all over the place, but back to this particular scene, baby goes to Johnny and says, I apologize for my father treating you that way. And Johnny keeps saying, no, your father's a hero. He's taking care of Penny. And she says, no, but he, he mistreated you. He was talking down to you. And he said, well, that because I'm not worth anything. Of course, he's going to talk down to me. And you realize that with all the confidence that he has, especially in his performance ability as a dancer, that he really has a self-esteem issue. And that's a great character reveal in that moment. And then when he is so in awe of her, who's this seems to be this timid, innocent ingenue, he says, no, she, you're, you're this brave, courageous girl that made a tough decision and was able to, in the end, save Penny. And they don't see themselves that way, just like you said. But it's all about perception, man. So much is perception. That is a good point, because I almost kind of missed that, too. Because when you think of Johnny, too, when he is on the dance floor, he is center stage. He is the most confident man in that room. But as soon as that music cuts off and he steps off, the confidence leaves with him too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and I'll, I'll say this much as a performer myself. I've said this often. There was a moment when I realized that acting 
was it for me for performance was it for me. Now I mentioned I was a dancer when I was younger. I've been performing for the better part of my life one way or another. And I was doing a live theater production and I was so nervous when I was backstage, just waiting to go on stage and, and do the show and do my lines and hit my marks and hit my cues, et cetera. And once the, I walked through the curtain and I was on stage, I felt at home. I was totally at peace and completely comfortable. And that's when I knew uh, it was just that, that uh, juxtaposition, the contradiction between the nerves behind stage in reality, and then walking out and putting on a show and being comfortable in that space. And that's where I was like, this is where, where I should be. This is where I am at peace and happy. And so I can relate to that where it's like, you nailed it. Johnny, when he's dancing, that's where he's meant to exist in that space and in that performance. And he's great at it. I mean, as if that's what he was meant to do. And then when he's not in the spotlight, and he just has to be himself, has to deal with his reality is when he is not happy with himself. And he has, like I said, self-esteem issues and self-worth issues. And uh, for her, you know, she just is always trying to do the, she's so innocent. She's just trying to do the right thing at all times, which when you're young and you just don't, you're not, she's not jaded yet by experience. Correct. So she doesn't look at it as being brave or courageous, she's just, it's common sense. No, you just do the right thing. You do what you have to do to save someone or to, to help someone in need, no matter if it offends somebody or if it crosses class lines or racial line, whatever it might be, you just do it. It's a simple decision. But uh, of course, with Johnny's background, he doesn't see it as being so simple. You know, the lines are blurred. And in a way, this does answer the question of why Johnny and baby are together because they bring out the best in each other Mm -hmm. and they see that. Right. And that's what just makes it work. Cause that was really my thing going into watching this movie again was what is it that Johnny sees in baby? What is it going to be the attraction? Obviously we know why baby's attracted to Johnny because he's a good looking guy, but what is it about Johnny that's going to make him choose baby? And it really is because he sees that she brings out the best in him. And he appreciates that and doesn't see anything else. Yeah. And not to be overly sappy here, but I, I found in relationships when it's working, it's at its best from, in my personal opinion is when I can truly be myself and the other person can as well. And together we are, and I mean this truly when we are naked, not physically, but emotionally, mentally, like we are completely vulnerable. We're okay with being exactly who we are. And that takes a lot of, there is courage involved in that because there's always then the risk of, you know, of from exposure that uh, you could get hurt, but that's when you really fall in love with somebody is like, Oh, there's someone where I have, I let go of all my fears and the cover is taken off and I don't have to, uh, perform for this person. I can just be, and that's, you know, so the message does that kind of message comes through. So now back to the, the, you know, this perspective from the writing thing, because I completely agree with you, Bill, I'm watching this going, oh man, it touches. It has those moments, it has these brief little scenes where there's another particular scene. I didn't put it in my favorites, but when before Penny goes through the abortion, she is behind the scenes with baby and she expresses her fear 
And she's just afraid. And that's one of those honest moments in the film. It's like, oh, man, I wish there was more of that in this right. movie. Yeah, because here you are spilling your guts to someone you've known for a week. Right. Seven days. And and granted, you've had a moment where, you know, you've been doing this tension training about learning this dance. So there is that kind of bond. But I mean, I know it's happened to me, too, where people like spill something like very important. They just have to get it off their chest and they tell me and like they don't really know. Like I know them, but I don't know them enough that they feel in a way I must feel honored that they feel confident enough to, to tell me those kind of things. And I think you should. I think you should. As I agree. I've been in that situation, fortunately, myself, too. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying with that moment. Yeah, that it just plays out like that. It's like, here you are telling someone something very intimate and you've only known them for a short amount of time and not really on a personal level. It's more of a teacher student kind of thing. But yeah, it works. That's the thing about the story. There's like a ton of little things. But when you look at the story at a whole, then you're kind of like, oh, that's that's when you can start really poking your finger through a lot of stuff. They had the makings of it. They had the ingredients. They were there. They were just sprinkled in. Yeah. But I'm giving Eleanor uh, Bernstein, she, to her credit, I mean, she put those moments in there. And I think that's what, it's the glue. Because otherwise, this film could be perceived as being entirely superficial. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really just, there's not a whole lot of meat there, right? Right. But. I want, I want to give Eleanor props on one thing before we jump ahead. And, and I know when we get to Swiss cheese and complaints, I, I know I'm going to have a lot of things to say. I ended up buying this movie to watch it because I think it was like $5 on Amazon Prime. I'm like, oh, might as well just buy it. And she does uh, one of the commentary tracks for the uh, the DVD. Yeah. If great. you're into that stuff, listen to hers. She is very informative and fun. And she's nonstop throughout the whole movie. It's probably one of the best commentaries I've heard on a movie in a long time she's just non-stop with information and just peppers in a lot of cool information about it a lot of behind the scenes stuff so she was great and that's why it's kind of like when we we're doing this i'm like well, i don't want to like rip on our movie too much but you know i'm going to give it as much as i give every other film we've talked on this podcast so be forewarned <laughs> appreciate that yeah um uh, do you want to get into it uh, i I feel like those were a lot of our initial thoughts, um, but I have a few others if yeah, uh, you would permit me. So absolutely love the opening credits because you get a lot of the dirty dancing in black and white. It's stylish. I love the hot pink titles. Uh, it's very sexy opening when you're watching the, the dirty dancing kind of in slow motion to the classic song, uh, Be My Baby by the Ronettes, which by the way, I always get confused with this uh, that song and of the opening credits song from Adventures in Babysitting. In babysitting. Yes. Which is Then that. He Kissed Me. Yes. Which is a totally different song, but there's a same, there's a similar yes. energy to it. Mm-hmm. And I always think, oh my God, yeah, is that the song from Adventures in Babysitting? Which, by the way, I watched, and I'm just the biggest Elizabeth Shue fan. Oh my gosh. She does her old lip sync dance to that song, Then He Kissed Me. And I fell in love with her all over again, but it is that similar energy. So it's just funny, two different eighties movies with opening credits, title songs that I get confused all the time. But for this particular movie, yeah. Be my baby. Great song by the Ronettes. So very sexy opening during the credits. And uh, another thought here. So we open the film with the Houseman family going up for three weeks on a three week Summer vacation is the end of summer, basically, of 1963, and they go up to upstate New York. It's the Kellerman 
house, which is a huge, you know, resort resort. Thank you. Uh, on the water and in the forest and it's a beautiful location. Anyway, the name of the owner is Max Kellerman, which immediately all I can think of is the ESPN sports analyst and broadcaster, Max Kellerman. <laughs> I'm like, what now I'm, now I'm just thrown because that's all I'm thinking of. But if the owner of this establishment looks nothing like Max Kellerman, of course. And being that this movie is from 1987 as well. Anyway. So I love the setting. Uh, the setting is made for love baby. What a great name for the baby because she is so innocent. It makes sense. Spot on. So here's one thing, Bill, I wanted to mention right away is I've always liked the this aspect of, of particular films, the, the like the underbelly, the darker, sexier world within a story. It's the forbidden place our protagonist is not supposed to enter, but is like inevitably drawn to in this film and this fiction. It's the staff quarters, which is that place. So and it's kind of one of the reasons why I've always loved dive bars. Because give me a place that's off the beaten path that has like an unmarked door, dim lighting, smoky atmosphere, great music. It's a complete, the the opposite of being out in the daylight, you know, having to deal with reality. It is really the ultimate like escape atmosphere. Uh, so I always appreciate that. And in a previous podcast, I also had talked about the Costner confidence. And now I had a, a man crush on Kevin Costner. Yes. Well, Patrick Swayze is going to give Costner a run for his money because I'm calling it the Swayze swagger. Nice. Yeah. And that's, it's just undeniable. And I have a, I'm a big Patrick Swayze fan. Jennifer gray is perfect. The innocent like fawn. She does that breathless thing really well. She does obviously the very cute girl next door, innocent. I keep saying innocent, but um, adorable. Yes. Wide eyed. But she has this breathless, breathless thing where it's as if you can tell she's probably not even aware that she's doing it. She's just really being natural and reacting to the most, especially when we'll get into that particular scene when she goes to the staff quarters for the first time and, and witnessing the, the quote unquote dirty dancing. Uh, her reaction is great. I love her laugh. Reminds me of Julia Roberts in a way. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. That I like it's that. Almost, it's very similar. It's yeah, very similar. It's like where a quick it, outburst. It is. It's like a guffaw. Yeah. But in the most adorable way, it's not obnoxious. It's like, oh my gosh, she is so fucking cute. Mm -hmm. Like, because she, it's such an honest, uh, spontaneous type of laughter that it really comes from deep down in. Like, they're, and it's just raw. I don't know. There's something really honest and, and attractive about that to me. And it's the same with Julia Roberts when she lets out that laugh, just like, oh, she's so, uh, she's just beautiful in those moments. So those are some initial thoughts I had, Bill Bant. Did you have any other thoughts before getting into our favorite scenes and or moments? I wanted to agree with you on the opening credits because oh, I, yeah. I didn't remember that at all. And then watching it, I'm like, oh, this is really cool because I love the black and white with the pink. And I was like, oh, because it just makes it pop. And then you realize like that footage is used. I'm not sure if it's the same shots they use again, but you definitely, it's the same couples you see later on. Oh, the sure. Yeah, yeah. First. yeah. So I thought that, I thought that was pretty right. cool. And I was kind of like, yeah, I wish more movies kind of did something like that. It was almost, yeah, like a little bit of a f subtle flash forward. I agree. A stylized uh, opening to the film. So Yes. Cool. So, yeah, let's move on to uh, favorite scenes. Jason, what are your, what is one of your favorite scenes from Journey Dancing? I'm going to, I think, jump right to the scene you were probably talking about. And I was just talking about, and it's the first time Baby goes into the staff quarters. 
So we've established that Baby and her family have gone on summer vacation to the Kellerman House, uh, this retreat in upstate New York. Her father, uh, is it Jake Houseman, is uh, a doctor. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. It's Jake. It is Jake, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, Played by Jerry Orbach, the great Jerry Orbach, a doctor of reputation, good reputation. And then also there's the mother and her older sister, Lisa. Uh, So it's the four of them and they've gone to this retreat and it's a beautiful location. They have really nice quarters. They meet the owner, Max Kellerman, whom is personal friends with her father. And so we get a little taste of who's who. And then we get introduced to some of the employees and we learn that uh, there is a wait staff, which is made up of college graduates and uh, Ivy League school kids, uh, you know, that needed a summer job. And then we have the entertainment staff and they are put in a different class for some reason, a little bit lower class. And these are the, the dancers and led by Johnny Castle, whom is Patrick Swayze. And they reside in the staff quarters, which are located obviously separate from the guest quarters. And one night when Baby is venturing out to explore the territory, uh, she comes upon, actually first sees the sign, I believe, that says staff quarters, no guests. Yeah, no guests allowed or something to that effect. But of course, she runs into Billy, who is uh, this young, good looking kid who's part of the entertainment staff. He helps out around the place and he's carrying a few very, very large watermelons. Yeah, that was a pretty big. <laughs> Those are huge watermelons. And uh, she insists basically on helping him. And even though he says, no, you can't help. You can't come with me. I'm going to the staff quarters. You, you know, guests aren't allowed. It's They're very strict about this here on this resort. She makes her way up. Regardless, helps him with the watermelons. They go into the staff quarters and the music is bumping. And the people are dancing and they are doing the dirty dancing. And it's hot. It's super hot. It's extremely sexy. Even today, watch it. I mean, these they're good. These dancers are great. And they are all in tune with one another. They are in sync. And she is witnessing this type of dance for the first time. And again, credit to Jennifer Gray. It's that those moments I've described in other pods with other films of discovery. I love those moments of discovery where she's seeing something for the very first time. And we get to see how it affects her on a very intimate, visceral personal level. It's something she's not familiar with, but it is turning her on in a certain way on different levels, not just uh, sexually, but uh, it's just this wonderment. She's in awe of the talent that these people possess and how they're moving their bodies and how fun it is. And uh, there is kind of a behind the scenes, like peeking behind the curtain type of feel to this whole scene because she's not supposed to be there. So is there a dangerous quality to the scene as well? And she kind of makes her way off to the side with Billy, who we find out is Johnny's cousin. Johnny, of course, makes a grand entrance with Penny and they do a great dance. And then Johnny makes his way over to, to Baby, is introduced, gets Baby out on the dance floor for and teaches her a couple of moves and how to move her hips. And the whole thing is... A lot of fun. I just love that scene because now you've been introduced to this different world within the world, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And this is behind the scenes. And so I always like that. And she we get to see from her perspective, her introduction to this world and how it affects her. And as from a, an acting perspective, 
as well. She she does such a great job of just being so breathless. Like it literally takes her breath away in moments. You oh, can yeah. see her just kind of like trying to catch her breath. And it's like, what am I seeing right now? What am I watching? And what, how is this? This is making me feel funny. What am I feeling right now while watching this? It's good acting, the entertaining scene. That's my first favorite scene. I agree with you too, because there is a moment in that scene um, that I want to talk about a little bit more. But yeah, it is like Baby stepping into the Forbidden Forest and mm-hmm. seeing all these things she has never really seen before. But yeah, the, the part of that scene I really like is when Johnny comes in and he makes a beeline towards her with mm-hmm. Billy and like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. And at first, you know, she is infatuated with him. And now here's her first moment to kind of impress. And she's like, I carried a watermelon. So she blew it. And she knows it's, she her, blew it. it's a great first impression. First line that she has with Johnny. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he comes in. He's already intimidating. Of course, he's this talented performer. She's she and I, I didn't say this in the preface, but she had seen him previous to the scene. So she was already a little infatuated. We can tell with him and then the first thing she out of her mouth the first thing she says to him is i carried a watermelon <laughs> so now she's not, he's knocked her down a peg and but what i love is in a way and everybody can interpret this a different way in a way he almost like doubles back to go in for the kill where it's like all right now that you're here why don't you come out on the dance floor and show me what you got and what i love about it is like for me I'm like, I'm not going to call your bluff. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to stay here and watch. But the fact that she takes that step to like, okay, I'll, I'll come out there with you. And yeah, she is kind of awkward at first, but the fact that she tries and kind of gets right. into it, I think in a way it kind of impresses Johnny a little bit at that point, because I sure. think it was in a way he was almost going to try to embarrass her, but it's like, no, she's not going to let herself embarrass. She's going to stand up for herself and show yeah, I didn't know what to expect when I got here, but I want to be here. And this and this is how I'm going to prove that I'm going to be here. And that's what I kind of liked about it. It's, it, it's just a little 90-second moment in the film, but that's what I liked. I Great was like, point. Okay, yeah, look at her. Trying Outstanding. To show like, okay, I can belong. I can belong. I love that commentary, Bill. You're, you, you, it made me think of it. She actually goes on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster there, if you think about it. It's just, the pendulum swings for her emotionally because it goes from – her embarrassing. First of all, he comes up to her and is not happy that she's there because she's a guest and she doesn't belong there. So she's already feeling out of place, even though she's already feeling out of place. She now feels even worse. And then to go from that to then ending up on the dance floor with this guy, she's already infatuated with and gets to dance with him and kind of prove herself in that moment. Like you said, like she has at least the wherewithal to kind of to do it. Right stick with it and actually rise above a little bit in that moment. It's pretty impressive. I love when her innocence shines through to immediately after the song ends and she's still kind of jump gyrating around because she, it's like, again, the first time when you discover something feels good, something you've never done before. And it's as if she almost hadn't danced ever, you know, like that before. Yeah. And so she's just moving around going, this feels great. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. It's a great yeah. moment. There's a lot of eye-opening moments throughout this film for Baby. Yeah, she definitely yeah. leaves that resort. As, as Yeah, she almost goes into a girl and, and leaves a woman, basically. Oh, she yeah, does. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. she does. It's, yeah, she, and, it's, and that's the start of it right there. Yeah. So uh, how about your first uh, favorite scene and or moment? 
Um, I like the whole learning to dance montage. So what happens is that's what I had next. Yeah. Oh, okay. For yeah, sure. So, so we yeah, find, yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a good montage. So we find out in the movie that Penny is pregnant. Right. And the father wants to have nothing to do with her. So she decides that she's going to have the baby aborted. But the problem is abortion is was illegal back then. And it was a lot of money to get it done. So they were trying to figure that out. And we find out that baby actually asked her father for the money to take care of the abortion, but not telling, of course, her father what, what the money's for. So then they run into another dilemma where the appointment for the abortion takes place on the same night as a dance that Penny and Johnny are supposed to do at another hotel or resort in another area. Right. And it's been established at this point that Johnny and Penny are dance partners. Correct. They had been in a relationship when they were much younger, but now they are just their best friends and dance partners. So they work together. Yes. So now if they don't do this performance then they don't get the money and this, they, you know, they basically need this money to get through the next couple of months. So baby steps up and she's like, I'll, I'll do the dance. Right. And like we've seen that first, she, she's got a long way to go to learn. So they do this. Yeah. This whole dance montage of basically Johnny trying to teach baby the, the steps for this dance and with Penny helping and stuff like that. And there's just a lot of cool moments throughout this. Um, you know, you have your music montage, just the simple steps, you know, the clumsiness that happens, baby spending every moment when she's not with Johnny, just going over this over and over again. You just see the super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the progression of her getting better and better throughout to the point where, you know, she's getting kind of confident that she can get it done. So I thought, yeah, I just thought it was a fun movie. You know, we always love the eighties montages and I, absolutely. I, just this, I just thought this was a fun one too. So yeah, that's one of my, my favorite scenes. I couldn't agree more. It's a great montage. It's great. Cause she's only got a few days. There's a time constraint here. She's got yeah. to learn a lot. It's tough. This style of dance to like, it's like, it's a whole different kind of movement if you're not used to moving your body this way is going to take some intense training. And she goes through the intensive training process with Johnny, you know, some montages are just better than others. This one is super solid. It's right up there with the Rocky four montage, man. I'm, I am. <laughs> I just said it. I just said it. I'm putting it up there with Rocky four. It's funny. Anyway. I was going to equate this to like, it's like a, it's like a Rocky montage, right. except it's right. dancing. So the no, I'm glad you said that. When yeah. you go over the best eighties montages, I'm this not going to say it's better right though. No, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. How dare we even think of it? But uh, no, this is a wonderful montage because my point being, there are good montages. There are bad montages. This is good because you actually do sense, you feel the pressure, you feel some emotion and you get the sense that she actually is going through the train. Like there's enough, there's enough different scenes from different angles, from different in different locations and different ver types of dance that she's doing. The focus is on the feet. The focus is on the way she's holding her arms, where her eyes are looking. And then uh, one of my favorite moments in the montage is when Penny is actually helping them out. And it's the three of them dancing together. And they kind of move in a circle where Penny is standing behind Baby. And, you know, Baby and obviously Johnny are dancing together. But Penny is kind of supporting her from behind, making sure her form is correct. Yeah, that's awesome. And the, watching the three of them move together and you can see the eye line because Penny's a little bit taller than baby. And you see Johnny making eye contact with Penny 
while also making eye contact with baby. There's so many great things in this montage. One being again, a testament to Jennifer Gray as a perform, you know, as an actor, when she's coming down the infamous scenes or moments when she's coming down the stairs and doing her dance and she's perfecting her, she's getting frustrated and she kind of does this hopping up and down. And she's like, you can tell yelling at herself. And then when uh, it switches, you can see the time progressing because she changes outfits, right? She's now got jean shorts on and she's getting better and she's feeling her body a little bit more and she's more in rhythm and she's getting a hang of it and she knows it and she's feeling herself, right? She's feeling confident. Oh, yeah. She's feeling good. And you see her kind of pose and flip her hair back and do like, she like, Oh, I'm sexy now. And it's really funny. She's adorable. And so you see that progression through the montage and you buy it. Like you can sense like, Oh yeah, I get it. I, I believe that she within this short time span went from a, to C or D, you know, maybe not, she's not a professional by any stretch of the imagination, but she made some leaps and bounds in a short period of time. Yeah. I'll be honest too, because I was probably when I, you know, saw this first time, I was like, there's, there's no way she's learned that dance in that amount of time because, right. because it's like Johnny and Penny still have to do all their work. Baby still has to spend time with her parents and, you know, she's got to somehow slip away and, you know, that the Neil, the, the grandson is always chasing after her too. She's got to deal with that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think because of Dancing with the Stars, where they only have a week to learn these dances, <laughs> watching it this time I was sold. I'm like, oh yeah, she you can, time. You could do it. You can yeah, I was it. like, she, she could do it. It takes a lot of dedication. Yeah. Like every waking moment or and yeah. every free minute they had, they had to put the time in to do this. Yeah. It definitely made me appreciate it more and then feel like, oh yeah, she, she had time to to learn this and pull it off. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes within the montage that are iconic. I mean, I'm going to keep using that word because it does pertain to this movie in so many different ways. So, you know, the fans out of there, this film, they, they're going to talk, you know, they want to talk about, I want to talk about practicing the, the balance on the tree. There's a fallen tree that crosses over a river, I believe. And oh, yeah. uh, that's when they begin practicing well, they're about to they start just balance, first of all. And then that leads into practicing the lift, which takes place in the water. It okay. first starts in a field and then it moves to the water because it's easier for him to lift. But those are iconic scenes within the montage. That's what we all remember from this. Uh, besides her coming down the stairs. I mean, gosh, I guess, you know what? Honestly, this could be one of the more iconic montages in all of at least 80s movies, if not more. Yeah. The bit parts of the montage are so memorable. Like I almost remember all of it when I was watching. I'm like, oh yeah, that scene's coming up. This part's coming up. Yeah. Cause just even the simple things when he's talking about, this is my space, this is your space, keep your right. arms locked. Just cause there's always like these little things that were in there to kind of show a little bit about what the dance was about and the, the movement and stuff like that. I thought it was pretty cool. And we'll get into some behind the scenes stuff later on regarding this oh, montage yeah. too. Cause there was a lot going on with these yeah. actors. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there is another piece of the of the of that montage. So I'm trying to bite my tongue on. Because okay, cool. We will we'll talk about we'll it later in the the facts and trivia. All right, your turn. Favorite scene. I was just going to bring up another moment real quick. Is then after this montage, they actually well they got to do the dance. So now Baby has stepped in for Penny. She's substituting for Penny, and now uh, she's learned the dance. And Johnny and Baby are going to perform at this other resort down the road, and they pull it off, but uh, it doesn't 
go off without a hitch. I mean, it does have a couple of hiccups. Uh, baby uh, is a little too timid to do the lift. They didn't do the lift. And instead, this is one of my favorite moments. I had forgotten about this. Instead of doing, so she doesn't do the lift and she freezes for a moment and then just faces the crowd and improvs a quick dance step, which is the shooting the thumbs out. Yep. And she kind of does this little boogie and it's amazing because it's so out of step with the rest of the routine. It's not within the same genre of the dance that they're doing or anything, but then Swayze, because he is leading and he takes over immediately and covers and they get back into the flow. Uh, they manage to save it the rest of the routine and nobody really cares anyway, or notices, let's just put it that way. And uh, they pull it off, but I just wanted that moment just cracked me up. So I wanted to mention that. And then that leads into a brief, brief scene that I have to put in here. I, it grabbed me, man. And I wasn't expecting it. I didn't remember it, but it's immediately following that dance. They pull it off and they're in his car driving back to the Kellerman resort and it's night and she's changing in the back seat and he can't help, but kind of keep glancing in the rear view mirror at her. And there's this strangeness where she's still kind of, you can tell feeling the high of, of the, from the performance, right. She's still got the, the buzz from it and the endorphin rush. And he is saying, yeah, you did it. You pulled it off. And she's like, yeah, I didn't do the lift though. And you can see, this is where he's starting to, he's becoming attracted to her. And it's the unspoken thing. You can start sensing it. It's building. And I think I'll get into this also later on, but it's uh, a lot of, there's some feelings that happen in this scene that wouldn't necessarily, I don't know if they were on the written page or not, but again, credit to the actors. I love this scene when she's changing in the back and then she kind of climbs over the front seat when she's dressed and he almost doesn't know what to do with how he's feeling about her in that moment. Like he's proud of her. He admires her, but he's starting to become attracted to her as well. I don't know. I like that scene. Yeah. These are the things I took away from the, that dance was a, whoever did baby's makeup, don't ever do baby's makeup again. Cause that's the only time watching this movie. I was like, yeah, she doesn't look that. She good. doesn't look good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree. I, yeah. Too much lipstick is a little too. Yeah. They were trying to make her look older, I think, than she was. Yeah. Yeah. Or more mature or something. I don't know. But what I did like about that was you can see how scared she was right before that starts. And you're like, oh, man, she's going to totally fail. But once she's rigid. She, yeah. But once she gets through those first couple steps, she just opens up and she does it. And even when she doesn't do the lift, which is cool, is like you would think Johnny would get angry because they didn't pull it off or like or screwed. But you kind of see him smile. Because he's impressed with the fact that she's trying to cover. Right. Yeah. And it, and it almost takes him off for a second. And then he gets back into it. Right. Two little cute moments in that scene that I like too. Absolutely. Good call on the dance scene. And then just even at the end when they're doing the bowels and that couple, the older couple comes in, the little thieves, and just trying to do the look, avoid bow thing. I was like, oh, that was kind of funny too. Yeah. Nice little moments in there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So moving on for me. So basically, the thing about this movie is just a lot of little moments throughout that I love. But for me, my favorite scene or, or moment is it's near the end of the film where, where Johnny gets accused of stealing and, right. you know, baby stands up for him saying, you know, I know he didn't steal because he was with me. And at this point, you know, baby's father says, stay away. And of course she doesn't follow daddy's rules. Of course he's very disappointed now. 
Johnny still gets fired because of the fact that he's with a guest. Mm-hmm. So there's a shot where we see the dad out on the porch overlooking the lake and baby comes out to speak to him. Right. And she does the whole, you know, I told you I was telling the truth, but I lied. But you lied to me too. It's only like a 90 second scene. But for me, that really resonated. I don't know if it was a good way or a bad way because having a daughter myself and granted she's, you know, she's little like watching this. I'm like, Oh my God, someday I might have to have this moment with my daughter because actually going into watching this, I always felt like the dad was kind of a bad guy, but then watching it again, I'm like, no, he's not. He's just trying to protect his daughter. Correct. Based on what he knows and what he thinks is right. Well, yeah. yeah, And what he thinks is right. Cause I mean, as a parent, your goal, what you're hoping you're going to do is make a better life for your children. And then they'll move on and have a better life for themselves. And then they'll pass on and they'll pass on and pass on. And what I just loved about this is like, you can't help who you're attracted to or who you fall in love with. And the problem is, you know, the dad already has a check mark against him because he thinks of something about Johnny that's not true. So of course his defense is going higher to protect her. And he has, he doesn't have all the facts. So he's just basing on the facts that he has. So the fact that they have this conversation and in a way she kind of calls him out because it's almost like, well, I had to hide this from you because you didn't want to see what all the facts were. And you have to understand I'm going to fall in love with who I fall in love with, not who you want me to fall in love with. It's who I'm going to fall in love with. So I thought it was very touching. It was a heartfelt moment. And even the end where you see um, the dad, he's getting emotional too. Oh, absolutely. He's about to say something, but she steps off. Right. So he never gets a chance to kind of apologize. But yeah, I love that scene. It's just a really short moment, but that was my favorite. And I'm just like, in a way, I'm kind of dreading when me and my daughter are going to have that scene at some point. Who knows? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But as a parent, you just try to do your best. Just hope you can be on the same page. That was awesome, Bill. Thanks for sharing that perspective because I am not a parent myself. It's just a great call to pick out that scene because when I watched it, I actually thought to myself, oh, this is, it must be tough to be a parent, (laughs) especially in a, in a, a scenario such as this, in a situation such as that, because he's just doing what he thinks is right. He's just trying to protect her. And he or she is coming to him, basically telling him that what he's been doing is actually not in line with, with, with what she wants or needs or who she is and how he's made a mistake within this process of trying to do the right thing. And it's a different perspective that he just didn't know or understand. And she's hurting and nobody wants to see their baby hurting like that. And, you know, she starts breaking down and he has to, I think, face himself in that moment as well. She kind of holds up the mirror and says, look, you're being a classist here. And, you know, I'm sorry, daddy, that I disappointed you, but you disappointed me too. And I think you're absolutely right because it's a great acting moment for both of them. And Jerry Orbach is all, he's getting all teary eyed towards the end. And you get the sense that he was going to apologize to her as well because he realizes his faults in that moment. But the thing is, there's no protecting yourself against that. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to as a parent, Bill, is like, how do you 
you are not your daughter. Your daughter is not you. You're looking at things from two completely different perspectives. And the only way you're going to learn about it is somebody tells you what they're thinking, what they're feeling and where they are at in their life. And she is in a different position where she's just experiencing new things and figuring out who she is and she's doing what she needs to do. And he can't have any understanding of that until she tells him. And it's a, it's a hard one to swallow for him, you know? Yeah. And she has a great line in that where she says, but if you love me, you have to love all the things about me. Right. As a parent. Yes. Everything, even my kids drive me crazy. I love them all the time, you know, hundred percent. But if I, get mad at them or scold them. It's something they do. They almost feel like, yeah, maybe daddy doesn't love me because of that, but that's, you know, that's not true, but it's like, how do you make your kids realize that? Right. I just thought that was a great line. It's like, no, even through all this, baby, your dad still loves you. And by the end, she does kind of learn that. Yeah. Great call, man. It's a great, it's a really good scene. Mm -hmm. It's a really good scene. And it's a beautifully shot scene too. I love the, the oh, yeah. to be t like from a technical aspect. The composition of the frame when they're just, he's sitting there on that scene. You can see with the lake out there in the background in the distance. And he's on the porch sitting on that chair and looks beautiful. So good call, man. Uh, I have to, of course, call out the, the Mickey and Sylvia scene, as I call it. It's a fan favorite. And this is now when we have Johnny and baby are in the midst of their relationship, in the throes of their passionate relationship. And this is great because they are so comfortable with one another that they're up in his studio and they're in the midst of dancing. And uh, it's the Mickey and Sylvia song. Uh, was it Love is Strange? I believe is the name of it. And they're lip syncing and it's very sexy. And they're, they both know the words to the song and they're being very playful. It's a baby, you know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, a lot of fun. And that's when, of course, too, what I love is that the scene is interrupted by Neil uh, Kellerman, who is, uh, he's the, is he the son of Max? Grand, he's grandson. the grandson of the owner. And he comes in and he thinks that he's been wooing baby this whole time, but he's oh, oblivious yeah. that she's completely in love and already in a relationship with Johnny. So anyway, he comes in saying, Hey baby, you know, I could teach you a couple of dance moves. And you hear the record scratch in the background when he's yeah. doing it. <laughs> it's so funny because Johnny does it on purpose. It's just a nice little moment. That's a great scene because they're lip syncing. There's, it's just so playful, very sexy. Another moment I just wanted to call out here is her older sister, who is a bit of a villain, you know, in this up to a point. She's like the evil older sister. Not really evil. She's just kind of a bitch. Is she's prepping for the talent show. Oh. And she's doing that whole song and dance to the hula hana, the, yes. the hula hana song. Oh, it's that, really that funny. Was, that was she's great. To get through, but she's great. She's that so funny. But uh, that I'll, I'll be honest. I kind of wish, as a viewer, that I understood more why the sisters clashed. Well, not baby didn't seem to have a problem with Lisa. Lisa seemed to more have a problem with baby. Right. And I wanted to know why that was. Was it more of because the dad, Lisa felt jilted that the dad seemed to consider baby her favorite? Like, I, I wanted some of that. Bill, totally agree. Totally agree. I wrote in my notes, and I think this was a general note for me, was relationships being underdeveloped. There's some storylines that were underdeveloped. But 
it's okay. But yeah, I agree because it kind of comes out of nowhere when Lisa kind of says, you're just mad because now the attention is on me. Daddy's giving me the attention. And you kind of get this feeling of like, where did that come from? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, we got the sense that there may have been a sisterly rivalry, maybe, you know, it's always vying for attention or, you know, you kind of want to outdo the other. But it seemed one-sided and that's what kind of irked me a little bit. It was a little bit. Yeah. It, uh, this doesn't ring true because it's just hasn't been developed. I haven't seen enough of how it got to be this way in their relationship. But anyway, that Hula Hana dance and song, she's just so bad. She's good. Oh, yeah. That's a rough one. I would have been. Yeah, we're definitely leaving early. You're not going to be in the town. So I changed my <laughs> mind. We are leaving on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to skip right to. Uh, <laughs> I'll just give right to my uh, final uh, favorite scene, which is the final climactic scene. I just wrote Johnny's back because you hear somebody, of course, whisper that it's like the hero's return. You know, he kind of comes in in the black leather jacket and he's all smooth and suave. And somebody goes, oh, Johnny, Johnny's back. Johnny comes in to save the day, basically, in in a way, I guess you'd say. And it's the, the most iconic scene. You have the song. I've had the time of my life. Uh, That's the song that Johnny puts on. By the way, this is in my, you know, my final favorite scene, but I'd like to break this scene down for you. I'm also going to bring this scene up in my, uh, in the complaints department. I'm going to file some real issues with this scene. So you're going to build it up and just smash it. And then I'm going to tear it down. All right, go for it. I'm going to build it up though. All right, right, so let's build it up right now. Right. (laughs) So get everybody all excited that this is our, we're going to talk about how this one of our series. At least I'm giving you the heads up. And then about 20 minutes, we're going to say how crappy it is. All All right. So then, yeah. So, so, so Johnny, any of our so, female viewers, you could shut it off every time. Right. Then we're just going to trash it for the next 20 minutes. Go ahead. Johnny comes in. He's looking great. He interrupts the little song and dance that everybody's doing. This is like the, the end of the summer for the whole resort. And the, the employees are doing their kind of final farewell song and dance number. And Max Kellerman is saying his goodbyes. But anyway, there's a whole thing. But Johnny interrupts puts on the music, does the dance that has been rehearsed and choreographed and et cetera, they, with baby and they kill it. They nail it. The audience goes nuts and all the other entertainment staff, all the other dancers are there and they, they kick in and they, they're dancing. Everybody's dancing. And of course it, the climactic moment is the lift. When baby finally jumps into Johnny's arms, he does the lift. They do the lift together with perfection and they kiss at the end, surrounded by everyone dancing and being joyous. And that's it. I mean, it's a feel good ending. And the bad guy as in Robbie, who was the one that uh, got, you know, Penny pregnant and basically screwed over baby's older sister, Lisa, he got it, gets his come up in. So that happens. And um, yeah, it's a, uh, other than that, yeah, just feel good ending. So it's again, because of the music, the dance, the happy feeling, it leaves you with the lift moment. It's an iconic ending. I'll try not to use that word too many more times, but there you have it. It's the end of dirty dancing. All right. This is what I'll say about the scene is I've gotten to the point where I cannot stand the I've had the time of my life song. Like if I hear it on the radio, I got to change the station. Are you saying you don't have the time of your life when you listen to I've had the time of my life? Yeah, not anymore. But when this scene came on and they played the song, 
I smiled. I really smiled. I smiled yeah. throughout the scene. I was just like, this is probably the only way I can watch, listen to this song. It has to be in the scene of the movie. There you go. It has to be in that context. Yeah. It works perfectly with that scene. I can't listen to it any other time though. Yeah. It is a good way to close out the film. I agree with you on that one. All right. All right. Uh, so should we move on to our soundtrack? Let's do it. About the soundtrack of Dirty Dancing. Uh, here's my first comment. The original score was done by composer John Morris. And this is what I have to say is that I don't remember any of the original score. I totally agree with you 100%. I watched this movie just hours ago, and I can't tell you any of the music cues at all outside of the actual original lyrical songs that we've uh, touched upon, the classic uh, 60s you know, rock songs, uh, 50s, 60s songs. I don't recall I, like any bits of actual orchestral music or otherwise. I think I was surprised too when I was watching the credits and saw his name come up because I was kind of like, oh, there's orchestral music in this? And I don't remember any either. I agree with yeah. you 100%. All right. So we'll um, so just throw out some uh, facts about the actual soundtrack itself. So the album has sold, and I've seen different numbers on this, but I'm just going to go with this one. So the album itself has sold uh, 32 million copies worldwide. In the United States, Dirty Dancing soundtrack was number one on the Billboard album chart for 18 weeks and has been certified multi-platinum. The film won one Oscar for Best Music Original Song, also won the 1988 Grammy Award for the Best Pop Performance sung by a duo or group. And she's like the wind. I didn't know this for the longest time, that that was Patrick Swayze. What I, I the probably, hell? Yeah, I probably found that out maybe like a decade ago. I never realized that was him. I found out three hours ago. Oh, really? Okay. I had no idea. I never knew that he sang that song for some reason. Maybe I did when I had the soundtrack as a kid. or I don't know. I don't. I just didn't know that at all. I mean, everyone else was putting out an album in the 80s. How come he never or maybe he did? I don't even know. I have to find that out. But yeah, that um, song reached number three on the U.S. Billboard single charts. Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen uh, made it to number four on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. And then this was a cool fact. So Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes, who sung I've Had the Time of My Life, are supposed to represent the adult versions of Johnny and Baby. Oh, I thought that was okay. pretty interesting. Yeah. So they said when they were uh, singing that, they actually had footage of the movie playing while they were recording it to get them in the mood to. So that's why Bill said there's kind of like that playfulness in the song, because when they were watching the movie, it was kind of uplifting to them. And it just kind of crossed over into the the song itself. So I thought that Very was kind cool. of neat because I was like, yeah, that does seem to really work because it is almost in a way they're reflecting on what happened on this. Uh, on their journey. On their journey. All right. Yeah. I like so, it. Yeah. So there's little uh, facts about the, the soundtrack to, to Dirty Dancing. Great. It's one. Yeah. It's a, I, I heavily recommend it. Go get it. Yeah. Download it. Find it. Download it. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. 
Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, so, all right, so we'll move on to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. So we call this Swiss cheese because... Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it doesn't fall into Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint. So, Jason, what do you have for Swiss cheese or the complaint department? All right. Well, I'm going to start with my Swiss cheese. I, I don't have a lot of holes to poke in this this movie. I'm not going to be a hole puncher tonight. Right. Here's my my main hole is that in the f- film, when we learn that Penny is pregnant and if she is going to have the abortion, that appointment was made on the same day that she's supposed to dance. She can't do both. So now baby's going to step in, but you know, baby offers to step in for Penny. Are you telling me there really wasn't anybody else that could do it besides baby? Cause I know Johnny throws out a couple of names real quick, like Maria can't do this and so can't do it because of this. But of all the entertainment staff, there was not one other more qualified person to step in and substitute for Penny in that dance than someone who's brand new off the street, who doesn't know how to move like that or dance like that at all. Yeah, I agree no with experience. that too. They could have switched someone else's schedule around to make it work. But somebody could. And I don't know if this is a whole or not. You can decide. But speaking of the entertainment staff, the other dancers, do they? Do we see them do anything at all in the entire movie outside of that sequence in the staff quarters and then at the very end, at the very end, like the climactic scene? We never see them work. No. What are they doing the entire time? Yeah, because even at the end scene, they're just all standing in the back watching the end of the show. We are to understand that they help teach the guests how to dance or what, or they maybe help out, but they're known as like the entertainment staff, right? But we literally, like, they, there's just shots in this movie where obviously we see them in the staff quarters dancing together, like couples are paired up. And you're thinking if this is going to be some sort of like, we're going to get to know some of these players, right? We're going to get to know some of the, these. Nope. Nope. So that's kind of a hole for me in the way that how do you have the, all of these talented, like really talented dancers, but they really don't play a part. They just stand around for most of the movie. Yeah. There might if only that. be one shot where is it right before you see everyone trying on the wigs where you see a bunch of them on the lawn and they're doing mm-hmm. some kind of moves. Oh, okay. Maybe, but, you, yeah. but you don't right. know which one is staff. Right. Maybe the only time you might have accidentally saw one of them in a shot. But yeah. I you, you wouldn't know for sure. No, granted, maybe most of them were not actors, per se. They were, right. they were dancers. And that's why they were there in the movie, to do the dance sequences, which were one in the beginning and then one at the very end. They're all just dirty dancing. That's about it. That's a good one. So here's my hold. I think this is a really big one. Yeah. Why does everyone keep it a secret that Robbie is an asshole? (laughs) Because think about it. If Johnny just tells baby's dad that he's not the dad, it's Robbie. Right. That that whole situation gets cleared up. If baby tells Lisa that stay away from Robbie, be pregnated Penny and walked away, that whole relationship's over. Right. Granted, then the movie collapses, but. One person just has to say something. It's a good point. And yeah. everything kind of solves itself. But at the same time, it would collapse the film at the same time. So that's why that's why I'm kind of like, overall, there's an issue with the film. 
but there's so many like great moments in it that makes it work. But yeah, just if someone just said Robbie's an asshole, this is what Robbie. Did. I agree. I agree. I, you raise a good point there. I think I chalked it up to, and I just assumed it or went with it because it is, I agree with you. It is a whole for sure. It is a big one. I assumed this happens sometimes in other films. It just wasn't made as clear in this particular movie, the class separation, the class difference where you get a sense that the lower class won't ever say anything against someone in the upper class for fear of retribution. Meaning that if you were to even say the truth, let's just say Robbie's an asshole, Robbie did this, that, and the other thing, Robbie could always come back and it could turn into a he said, she said, and who are they going to believe? You know what I mean? Now, is that a strong enough case to not say anything or to just tell somebody that Robbie is a dick? Probably not. But I would even think too, when Lisa, for some reason, tries to like brag to baby that she's going to do it with Robbie. Yeah. She first kind of like, no, you probably shouldn't do that. I would have said something. Right. Cause that's your sister. Why protect Robbie? Like we yeah, are. Why? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, you know what? If you just think about it for a minute, you're absolutely right. I was just thinking of it, you know, from Johnny's perspective, he can't say anything bad about someone who's technically in a, of a, has a, like higher status. Right. Because like part of the confusion happens is when Penny goes through the botched abortion and then, you know, the dad has to come in to help. And right. he's like, who's and taking- he assumes Johnny was the one that was responsible well, right, for her because, pregnancy. Right. Yeah. Because the way he asked the question is like, who's responsible for this girl? I would think like if someone asked me like responsible, not like, did I get her pregnant or who's, who's taking care of her right now? So I would have said yes too, even though I wasn't the father. Right. Yeah. So I could see how that got misconstrued. Correct. But then at some point he could at least said, or at least baby said like Johnny wasn't the father, especially when they're leaving and she's trying to explain and he shuts her down, like just stay away from them and the conversation. Right. But But I would have brought it up later. It, oh no, Johnny wasn't the dad. I because maybe I would even said it was Robbie, but at least would have just said, no, Johnny wasn't the dad. He was he's just trying to look out for her. You're right, Bill. Can't argue with that. That's a good one. That's great, man. You're absolutely right. And that can get frustrating if you dwell on it when it's something that appears to be so obvious. But you're right. Like if that isn't that element of the story isn't there, then the rest of it kind of falls apart. Yeah. You need baby's father being upset about the whole situation and thinking that Johnny's a low life for uh, knocking up Penny and that I can't have my daughter associating with somebody like that, like Johnny, who's just irresponsible. And yeah, I just want to present it in a different way because you still could have had the whole thing of the, the classes clashing. Right. But you didn't need to do it this way where it's just like, it's so paper thin of how the story is being held together. Right. That's what that's what just bothered Again, me. Again, I think also, yeah, it kind of lends itself a little bit to the idea that's just not developed enough to where, yeah, you're just you're gonna buy it. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. Do right. you have anything else for Sis G's or complaint? I've got some issues to file with the complaints department, my uh, friend. Yeah, I got but I uh got for that. holes for the actual Swiss cheese, mm-hmm. if I'm gonna play hole puncher. I don't think it's really a whole. No. Okay. I'm ready to move on to just filing issues. Okay. Yeah. I just have all complaints from here on out too. You know, I'm going to start with the the beginning here near the opening of the film when baby is 
walking the grounds where she's actually just walking the, the main house and she's overhears Max Kellerman debriefing the wait staff. I have some issues with some of these opening lines. Uh, we have Max Kellerman, the owner, saying to the wait staff to basically show the daughters around, show that all the daughters a good time. And the line leads into this portion, which reads, and show the goddamn daughters a good time. All the daughters, even the dogs, schlep them out to the terrace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Let's let's back it up, Mr. Kellerman, because that was harsh, man. I was like, wait a minute. Did he just say, did he just call them dogs? As in like even the unattractive girls, you got to take care of them too. Yep. It's like, oh man, this guy, I don't know. I don't like this guy right from the get. And then the entertainment staff comes in and led by Johnny and he's looking all tough and, uh, you know, with his glasses on his hair slicked back. Again, Kellerman, this is all in the same scene. Kellerman says to him, basically, you got to keep your hands to yourself. You don't mess around with the guests, et cetera. And obviously something has happened previously. There's some sort of history here between Kellerman and Johnny, because Johnny may have crossed the line with the guests at some point. Not surprising. He's a good looking dude. He's, you know, so you hear one of the other entertainment. This is the other one of the other dancers. This is the one line that another dancer has is named Rodriguez, I guess, says in the background. He says this line. Yeah, it's the same in all these places. Some ass in the woods, maybe, but no conversation. <laughs> I miss that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, I got to go back and listen for that now. Yeah, it's great. I'm like, oh, my God. And then, of course, Johnny uh, has a little back and forth with Robbie. And Robbie's telling Johnny some, you know, makes some sort of offhanded smart comment. And Johnny comes back at him saying, you just put your pickle on everybody's plate, college boy, and leave the hard stuff to me. <laughs> so I had some issues with those lines. There's the, all three of those lines in the same scene. I was like, oh, we are off to a little rough start here. A bit of a rough start. I don't know how this is going to go. It got better from there, though. Yeah. All right. So this, this might be my biggest complaint. I don't know why I'm, I'm coming off strong on the first one. But all right. So this movie is supposed to take place in 1963, correct? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Can we at least pretend throughout the movie that this movie takes movie place takes in 1963? It's like between the hairstyles, the clothes, even some mean? of the songs. I don't, I don't. Oh, yeah. It's glaring. <laughs> that, the time period is all over the place. I know they didn't have a lot of money, but come on, just give them all beehives or whatever. At least make them look like they're from that time period. But yeah, right. some of the clothes, I mean. Bill, I completely forgot. I was watching the movie. The movie starts with Baby's narration. She's narrating the film and says it's the summer of 63. You hear the radio, the or the, the DJ coming from the radio station in the car. You know, you get a sense because of the style of the car and it has that vibe. It's like, okay, here we go. It's 1963. And then the movie gets going. And I reminded myself like 20 minutes in, I'm like, because all I could think of, oh, yeah, this is such a, this is a great 80s movie. I'm like, oh, wait, this is supposed to take place in 63. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah, because you think point. about the songs. I'm like, they're not 19s. Well, that you comes back to yeah. the final scene. Like, we're going to break down that last scene. All right. Johnny literally pulls out, puts a record on, and it's, I've had the time of my life. Right. And it does not sound. <laughs> it doesn't sound. 
It does. It's not. But he blatantly puts the record on. It's not as if the song is in the soundtrack. It's not part of the. You know, it's not in the world that they're existing in. Exactly. It's an. Sometimes they'll play a song that's contemporary, even though it's a dated movie. But it somehow it works because it's in tune with what's going. You know what I mean? That you'll see that sometimes in movies. But here it's like, oh, my God, they're using a modern song within it's supposed to be 1963, guys. And they're literally uh, it didn't make I was like, yeah, it should should sound more like a 1963 song. Right. It's like a modern pop song or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, totally. The time period was all over the place. Yeah. So don't say not consistent. Yeah, they should not have specified when it was right. don't specify the year and then don't follow up with trends or music or hairstyles or clothing Just say back when I was younger. And then you, we just try to figure it out on our own. I agree. So baby is really busy during these three weeks because not only is she learning how to dirty dance, but she's doing everything else under the sun. She's got all, she's involved in a lot of different activities right from the get Neil Kellerman recruits her to help uh, set up the games and shows and she becomes a magician's assistant oh, right yeah. in the beginning of this that was weird and her reward she gets a live chicken what the hell was that stan the character stan played by the beloved wayne knight she does the assistant gig and then as a like thanks for helping out he gives her a live chicken like it's a funny joke or inside joke or something like the chicken has a, a ribbon on it. I, I, yeah. was, I was very confused. Now that you moment. said that, I'm like, we never see that chicken again. <laughs> but I just realized that, yeah, that chicken just disappeared. But why a chicken? Yeah, I didn't get that either. Why? That was very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So my next complaint is before you decide to bust out one of your car windows, <laughs> don't you want to check all the doors first? Yeah, he doesn't do a real thorough <laughs> check. It's like one door, pull, pull. All right, I'm just going to knock the car window out. It's like, just go around to the other he's side. He's very impulsive. You know, he's yeah. very spontaneous. Just That's what I like about Johnny. Check the other door. Uh, it doesn't matter. Let's bust that window, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I didn't even think about that. And that's a great point. Uh, speaking of Johnny, and this all within that montage area of the film, I love that. During part of the training, you know, he's just shirtless. Oh, I, I was thinking I'm that just too. Like, like, how many times he's shirtless in this? In this film? I get it. Like, we know that it's probably it's hot, it's humid. You know, we'll go with that. Mm-hmm. But still, just being professional, you're training with this young girl. I don't know. Put a shirt on, man. Just a t-shirt. Just going bare chested. I don't. I mean, I get that you're hot. That's awesome. You're you're a stud, and you're in fantastic shape. Good for you, man. But just be respectful. How about that? I think our female audience is disagreeing with you, right? Yeah, now. yeah. They're like, no, no. In order for her to learn properly and for them to actually become real partners in the dance, he must be shirtless. Yeah. So all the '80s movies where we saw all these girls topless, I guess. I guess we gotta, you know, we gotta have Patrick. <laughs> okay. you gotta take, Patrick all right, Patrick. You're you right, gotta though. take one for the team, man. You gotta take yeah, the shirt off, right? That's true. Sure. Yeah. Hey. Speaking of our guy, I'm going to call him P.S. Pat Swayze. What's with the accent? I was I had that. I was just about to bring that one up. It comes and goes. What? I don't even remember that from this film. And in the research, you find that 
originally the character, I guess, was supposed to be like of Italian descent. And then they changed, switched to Irish because he had been cast in the role. But then he's doing kind of like a, a New York accent at times, like the tough guy, like the street kid from New York kind of thing. And it just really comes and goes. And then because yeah. when, when it's there, you're like, hey, Pat, what are you doing, man? Why are you talking like that? I said the same thing. I'm like, what is he doing right now? Is he trying yeah. to an accent all of a sudden? Where's like this is now I'm being he's being the, the tough kid. Like he's the kid, the rough, the kid from the wrong side, of, the other side of the tracks. Like, yeah. Thing, right. Uh, That's I, weird. I, I had that down too. And then I just thought, I'm sure Kevin Costner watched this before he did Robin Hood. And it's like, you know what? If I want to do the accent in the scene, I'll do an accent in the scene. If I don't want to do an accent in the scene, I'll just take it. No one's going to care. How many ladies are really going to complain? Are the ladies really listening to what I'm saying right now? Or are they just looking at my, my pecs? Yeah. So can we just, let's go back to the, again, final scene. Go for it. The entertainment staff is hanging out in the back, all of his fellow coworkers, his fellow dancers. And apparently they're ready with a pre-choreographed dance in case something like this happens. Yes. Just, you know, in case emergencies, in case, you know, our, uh, our main guy shows up and whisks this girl off her feet and does a dance we got to be ready to, you know, go with our own routine to make it into a huge production number and we'll get the whole crowd involved. It'll be great. It's like, okay, we got to go with some serious suspension of disbelief in this scene. Like yeah. all of it goes out the window. This turns into like a fantasy sequence. Yeah. It's like your basic musicals where everyone in the street. It, you know, thank you. That's exactly. Knows. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I almost made a West side story reference earlier. Cause it was like, we talk about the kids from the other side of the tracks. Right. Yeah. You know, where it's when we're introduced to the, the staff in their quarters. And that's why I was like, ah, I would have liked to get to know some of these other characters. There are probably some cool people in there, but uh, we don't. But they're ready to dance at the end. Oh, and by the way, I've had the time of my life kicks in. But Tito's band picks up the song real quick because they are playing the song. Apparently, if you see there's like a seamless transition, the song is playing. Oh, yeah. And then you see the band in full swing. They're playing their trumpets and they're doing the whole thing. I'm like, oh, they know this song. They got it. Kellerman's like, oh, do you have the sheet music for this? Uh, I, I was what, what's, what's happening right now? And uh, that's it for breaking down that final scene. I don't need to needle it to death. But here's a question for you, Bill, just to, to round out filing issues with the complaints department. The relationship arc between Baby and Johnny they're riding off in the sunset into the sunset with each other at the end. Is that right? Does that work for you? Does that, does their relationship arc? Are we buying it? I don't know. Does it matter? I kind of thought about that. I'm like, how does this extend beyond the trip? And I couldn't figure out how that was going to work. I don't know. It's not, again, maybe not so much an issue because I shouldn't care that much about it. That's not, it works. It's great. It's okay. I shouldn't be picking it apart. I also was like, how long is this relationship going to last? But I don't think long. She's going away to school. How old do you think they are supposed to be? They're characters. So she's 17 and he's 25. Okay. How did you, was that in the research somewhere? Did you find that? I definitely saw in the research, but I can't remember if they mentioned it in the movie. She's supposed to be 17. He's 25 in real life. When they shot this, she, if correct me if I'm wrong, she being Jennifer Gray was 26 and Patrick Swayze was 34. Correct. I just brought that up because I'm thinking about the longevity of their relationship. How's this going to work? Way over analyzing this. And I'm sure they are going to be great. They've been great ever since 
they were together forever. All right. So let's, let's move on. So our next segment is, hey, it's that actor. So this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. So, hey, it's that actor. All right, so I'll go first. So uh, my hey, it's that actor is Neil Jones, who played Billy in the film. And Absolutely. it was Neil's feature film debut. So this was uh, probably his biggest, unfortunately, film role. But um, he has done uh, some recurring characters in TV series such as Rescue Me, uh, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, and Criminal Minds. But he has not had a TV or film credit since 2011. And I don't have any information on what he's currently doing. But I know before this, he was doing a lot of like stage play stuff. So maybe he's back to doing that. You know, so this is the uh, debut of Billy who I thought should have put the moves on baby at some point. I thought, th- I thought they had really good chemistry. I Absolutely. thought it would have worked. Yeah. I'm in total agreement. I was pulling for Billy a little bit. That's great. Yeah. Neil Jones. He's my, Hey, it's that actor. Perfect. All right. So for my, Hey, it's that actor. I have Neil Jones who played Billy Kostecki. He, uh, yeah, I oh, picked the same guy. Did you really? <laughs> I did. I have a backup. No worries. It's just really funny. So here's my story. So, because I was looking through him, like, who am I going to pick for Hey, It's That Actor? And I liked him a lot in this movie, even though he has a very supporting role, right? Yes. And when I looked him up on IMDb, I saw his photo headshot and I was like, oh, I know this guy. Where have I seen him? Okay, I got to look. Let's look through his filmography. And immediately I saw it and I knew it. And this is why I know Neil Jones, the devil's advocate starring. Keanu Reeves, Al Pacino. If you know the film, I know the film well. It's so bad, it's good. At the very end of the film, we understand. Spoiler alert, if you don't want Devil's Advocate ruined for you, pause or fast forward 30 seconds in this podcast. We understand that obviously Pacino plays the devil and supposedly he's either he's vanquished, but then also Keanu Reeves was just having a huge night. It was all a nightmare. And he wakes up in the courthouse, comes to finishes the case, comes out and he talks to a reporter and that reporter, the Florida reporter is none other than Neil Jones and Neil Jones smiles and then morphs into Al Pacino and Al Pacino being that he's the devil. Al Pacino is still there. He hasn't been vanquished. He took possession of this Florida reporter who is Neil Jones. So I was like, oh, he's that guy at the very end of Devil's Advocate that morphs into Al Pacino. That's funny. I recognize him from that bit part. Anyway, my hey, it's that actor actually is Kelly Bishop, who plays Marjorie Houseman, the wife of Jake Houseman, uh, Jerry Orbach. So Kelly Bishop would go on to play a major role in the cult classic show. I shouldn't even say cult. It's just classic uh, show. uh, The Gilmore Girls. She plays Emily Gilmore, the matriarch, the the mother of the Gilmore Girls. And I'm just going to do a little self-promotion because I myself had a bit part on the Gilmore Girls. That's right. In an episode called The Ungraduate, I say two words. And if you blink, you'll miss me. <laughs> I am the twist ties guy. The twist ties. I have to mention it only because I make fun of myself because of it. It was a wonderful experience. I still get residuals to this day. Thank you, Warner Brothers. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times over. 
I had two words, but I have, there are certain friends of mine that will still, they find the episode that Gilmore Girls is huge. We talk about dan- Dirty Dancing being huge, similar kind of cult-like following Gilmore Girls has. No questions asked. And I have some girlfriends that when I tell them about the show and that I had two words on it, they go crazy and they find the episode and they watch it and they share it. And I think it's hilarious, but awesome at the same time. And I respect it. So shout out to Kelly Bishop. That's my, hey, it's that actor. She plays Marjorie Houseman. She went on to do a uh, major, major TV shows. She's just a working actress. And yeah, Emily Gilmore from Gilmore Girls. See, Jason, that's who I thought you were going to pick because I knew she was on Gilmore Girls. Really? Yes. That's funny. And FYI, I have never seen The Devil's Advocate. So you did tell me the ending. I had no oh. idea. <laughs> that's why you took your headphones off. Yes, that's why I took my headphones like, off. I don't want to know how that. I just knew he was the devil. I thought I you took your headphones like. off because you were just disgusted with me at that point. And you were like, this, this podcast is going nowhere. And I'm done. I thought you would just quit in that moment. No, I haven't seen it yet. Now you don't need to. No, now I don't need to. Thank you. you Save me two hours <laughs> and 22 minutes or however long it is. This whole time I was waiting for you to shake your head going, oh yeah, that is him at the end of the movie. No, you've never seen it. I've never seen it. I had no idea who he was. All right. Uh, so let's move on to facts and trivia. There is a ton of facts and trivia out there, but let's let's try to keep it short and simple. because I'm sure most of our listeners probably know most of this stuff. What do you got? As I mentioned, Dirty Dancing was based in large part on screenwriter Eleanor Burstein's own childhood. Uh, She was the younger daughter of a Jewish doctor from New York and had spent summers with her family in the Catskills, where she participated in Dirty Dancing competitions. This was her life. It's crazy. Oh, she was also nicknamed Baby herself as a young girl. Yeah. It's all like real life stuff. Yeah. She said up until she was like 22. There you go. Crazy. Everybody probably knows this, but I just want to talk about this. So even though the movie takes place during the summer, the lift scene in the lake was filmed in October. So it was super, 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 super cold. So they couldn't do any close-ups because the actors looked blue. Oof. But I love the fact that it's all those long shots. I think it would have ruined it if they were doing close-ups and stuff. So I'm That's almost funny. glad I agree. that I they agree. did it that way. I feel bad for Patrick and... And Jennifer in that freezing lake, quote from Jennifer Gray saying she literally thought her nipples were going to explode. It was so. Oh funny. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Painful. Yeah. That must not have been fun to do, but it looks fantastic. I'm glad they shot it the way they shot it. Good. Co- I agree. So, Emil Ardolino, as the film's director, uh, he had never directed a feature film, but was, was extremely passionate about the project after he had read the script while he was on jury duty. And he would go on to direct Sister Act. How about that? So one of the scenes I did not talk about during the dance montage in the beginning that I'm going to bring up now. There's a one scene where it's Johnny and Baby and they're doing this very intimate, like kind of stroking each other. Oh, yeah. Right. And the first time Johnny does it to Baby, she starts busting out laughing. That was not scripted. That was real. Supposedly Jennifer Grey is very, very ticklish. So every time Swayze would do that, she'd start busting out laughing to the point where Swayze was actually getting mad that this was happening because it was a long day of shooting. This was supposed to be the last shot. And she kept killing the shots by doing this. Right. So the reactions are actually real. Like she's actually laughing because she's ticklish. 
and Swayze's actually upset because he wants to get. He was annoyed. Yeah. yeah. And it works perfect for the film. Another happy accident that happened in the film. Love it. So for choreography, writer Bergstein had chose Kenny Ortega, who had himself been trained by Gene Kelly. So choreographer Ortega went on to choreograph and direct other major motion pictures, such as Newsies and starting in uh, 2006, the High School Musical series. This guy was big time. He also became the director of film and television, including several episodes of Gilmore Girls. Ah, he didn't direct that episode, though, huh? Uh, No, he did not. Ah. Uh, What else you got for fun facts and trivia? Okay, so the movie's supposed to take place in the base of the Catskills in New York, but they could not afford it. Um, So I guess the issue was the hotels that they could use that were still up and running, it just cost too much. And the other ones that were willing to let them use it were in such disrepair, they would have to spend most of their budget just trying to fix them up. So they used two locations, one's in Virginia and the other one's in North Carolina. So the tell the difference is in the opening scene when they pull up and you see the big building in the front and all the cars and stuff like that, that is basically all Virginia. And then all the interior and everything with the staff, that's all North Carolina. Cool. Got it. Now, Jennifer Gray actually supposedly was initially not happy about the Patrick Swayze casting as she and Swayze, I guess, had some difficulty getting along on Red Dawn. But when they did their dancing screen test, the chemistry between them was obvious. And uh, the writer Bergstein described it as breathtaking. So there you go. I went even a little deeper to find out why that was. So I guess what happened when they were filming Red Dawn, they went through basically a basic training Uh and Patrick Swayze like took the role of, you know, because he's the leader of the Wolverines in the film. Right. And he kind of stayed in character and was basically the leader on set and kept barking orders like like he was. And that was just pissing Jennifer Gray off. Gotcha. Where she didn't like him. And that's what kind of carried over into the film. But if you watch any interviews with them talking about this movie, they have nothing but respect. They both admit there was animosity, but they have nothing but respect for each other for the making of that movie. So right. I, I do give them kudos for that, that they don't dish a lot of dirt like, yeah, I couldn't stand her, but you know, we somehow made it work. But they're always very respectful for what they said for each yeah. other on the, on the work of that film. So I, I did appreciate that, that they made it work. There you go. I don't have anything else for facts and trivia. All right, let's end it on this then. This is kind of okay. this is kind of fun and strange. Apparently, this film is huge in Britain, England. They love it over there across the pond. A May 2007 survey by Britain's Sky Movies listed Dirty Dancing as number one on women's most watched films above the Star Wars trilogy, Grease, The Sound of Music, and Pretty Woman. The film's popularity has also caused it to be called the Star Wars for Girls. The film's music has also had considerable impact. The closing song I've had the time of my life has been listed as the third most popular song played at funerals in the UK. Wow. It makes a little sense. I guess you're celebrating the time of your life. Sure. Yeah. You can, hey, make it work. Why does it have to be somber? It doesn't. It doesn't always have to be a dirge. Yeah, let's have everybody dancing up and down the aisles of the church or wherever you decide to hold your final resting moments. 
Did you know in 2020, a sequel for the film was announced that Jennifer Grey will re- reprise the role as Baby Houseman? No, it's you know I saw Untitled Dirty Dancing Project, but I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. It's what the Wikipedia says. I did see there was like a lot of TV versions of the movie that they did. Well, the there UK. was the pre, yeah, and there was the prequel, Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. They paid Swayze five million dollars to have a cameo in that. And in 2015, ABC did a three-hour musical remake, which did not get very good reviews. And then there was that theatrical production that ran for a while that got mixed reviews, but was extremely successful. Mm-hmm. So lots of spin-offs, such. All right, so let's uh, move on to box office. So uh, the movie was released on Wednesday, August 21st, 1987. Like, so like I said earlier, very late in the summer. The movie was a sleeper hit. So on a budget of around $6 million, the movie grossed $61 million domestically and $150 million internationally for a worldwide gross of $211 million. It debuted at number four on its opening weekend, falling behind Born in East L.A., which also debuted that week. Born in East L.A. ended up only grossing $17 million. All said and done. But it beat out Dirty Dancing's first week. Huh. Dirty Dancing's highest grossing week was during its third week of release when it hit number two at the box office. Um, The movie never reached number one, but stayed in the top ten pretty much through December. So a lot of repeat viewings. It's like the Dirty Dancing 100 where people literally saw Dirty Dancing 100 times in the movie theater. That oh my God. Is crazy. So, moving on to reviews. When growing up in the early 80s, we loved watching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their opinion of Dirty Dancing was split. Gene gave it a thumbs up and was impressed with Jennifer Gray's performance, while Roger gave it a thumbs down, finding the plot idiotic they both agree the dance performances were well done i love it idiot plot yep that's what he said raj not holding back no not at all but no i i I see what i see where they're coming from all right uh so yeah so this brings us to uh final thoughts so final thoughts on dirty dancing absolutely man here's my final thoughts i had mentioned this earlier the relationship between Penny and Johnny, I would have liked to have seen more. Now, upon this rewatch, I was really much more fascinated by their relationship. I wanted to know more about what had happened when they were young, when they would first were in a relationship and then it didn't work out and how they managed to stay friends, not only friends, but best friends, it seems. They formed a partnership. They truly seem connected, totally loyal to one another. Uh, and they love each other as you know, friends and partners, but do not have an intimate relationship. I just think that's cool that they managed to do that. And I would have liked to known more about how that all came about. Other final thoughts. I believe this is actually a good movie for men to watch, to learn to want to dance. You should want to learn how to move like Swayze to get that Swayze swagger. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to all the background dancers out there. Speaking of like the entertainment staff, uh, in this movie, I actually dated a girl briefly who did some background dancing and kind of had an understanding of what they go through and how underappreciated they can be. And I'm just glad that that now dancers have come a bit more to the forefront. There's a lot of re- not a lot, but there's a few strong reality shows out there featuring dancers like So You Think You Can Dance, Dancing with the Stars. It's had 29 seasons or even uh, World of Dance. 
good shows, wonderful dancing. I recommend all of them. And other final thoughts. I go back and I didn't want to get too much into this, but Jennifer Gray did have her plastic surgery. She had her nose fixed. And I thought it was, you know, part of what made her adorable. And in this film, I thought she was extremely cute. I didn't think there was a damn thing wrong with her, but she decided to have a change. So uh, whether you decide, you know, she decided it for herself and she had her own reasons and uh, she talks about it openly in interviews and I give her props for that. And uh, it's not easy being an actress and self-image is a, is a, a big issue. So I didn't want to just, you know, that is something that's talked about. And uh, so I didn't want to brush it off, but I think she looks amazing in the movie. I'll just leave it at that. Just to talk about that briefly, because I was kind of like, kind of why did she do this? But if you look at her IMDb after Dirty Dancing, which is a huge sleeper hit, puts her name and Patrick Swayze's name on the map. Right. Her next four projects are TV films. Mm. Then her next film project is called, I think it's The Wind. You ever heard of that one, Jason? No. Exactly. Something must have happened. Yeah. The ugly side of Hollywood. Yeah, you're just not pretty enough to be in movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She does. She did another movie called Bloodhounds of Broadway. Ever heard of it? No. Exactly. You know, I have to mention that that I don't know if you saw the same interview in your research, but she did that uh, brief Diane Sawyer interview. I think that's from 2012. And she does bring it up briefly about how her daughter had asked her about why she changed her face and that she looked beautiful in the movie. And not that she still didn't look beautiful, but she does openly talk about her self-image issues. And she had a real confidence issue afterward. And she wouldn't dance for a long time because of the tremendous pressure she felt she was under to perform up to the level she was performing in the movie and props to Jennifer Gray, because she would go on to be on that reality show. I mentioned dancing with the stars and she was partnered with none other than Derek Huff and they win. She wins the show. So yeah, she went through a difficult time after the movie with some, again, personal issues, just trying to live up to a certain image. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I was thinking too, I was like, she's at that age where she could almost make a comeback and I wish someone would cast her in something. Cause I'd really like to see the now Jennifer Gray actress to see what sure. she could do. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see her in something soon again. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. So I got two quick final thoughts. Uh, Cause I know we're going a little long. So Jason, when yes, sir. Johnny ends up fighting Robbie in the, in the back barracks, did the first thing cross your mind was the same thing that crossed my mind was rip his throat out. <laughs> I mean, can't help it. You're just thinking Dalton the whole time, man. Uh, it's like, you got to do the throat rip. You got to yeah, take care of Jimmy, you know, take him out, rip Robbie's throat out, do it. Fucking a. Yeah. You can't help it though, because he has, even in his fighting style, you can see Swayze. He has, real technique it's almost there's a finesse to it and you, you you see it in roadhouse and you see it here too in that sequence where obviously the fight's choreographed but there's kind of a almost a ballet to his fighting style too a dancer's technique oh yeah because he we never did mention that he does have a background oh yeah yeah he'd studied yeah, yeah. And uh, he was supposed to actually no longer do any dancing before taking on this movie. He was, he'd blown out his knee, he had a knee injury, et cetera. It was serious enough where 
he was supposed to quit, but he liked the the script so much that he signed on and said, I'm doing this anyway, damn, whatever the doctors say. And then of course, during the, that dance montage we talked, or the training montage we talked about, he falls off the tree and busts up his knee. I don't know if it was the same knee that he had injured from dancing, but mm-hmm. he had to go to the hospital for that during the actual shooting. Yeah. And the other thing I have to apologize because you had that big moment where, you know, baby goes up to see Johnny and they basically pour their hearts out to each other. And baby has this line where she goes, me, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life. The way I feel with I'm with you. I busted out laughing when I heard that. I'm sorry. <laughs> this whole time I thought you were going to be like, it's just, it's a great line. I mean, it's just a, that's one of the most romantic lines and probably it's quoted by often. And uh, no, you're right. Like, ah, no, it's a good line. I just, I just laughed out loud. I just laughed out loud and I, I just want to apologize for that. Oh, okay. well, Hey, no apologies necessary. I mean, you're entitled to your, I mean, I'm glad you got enjoyment out of it. Eleanor, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh at your line. <laughs> you know what? Now I feel, you know, I actually wanted to go back and apologize to uh, John Morris. I didn't, cause he was the composer of the original score. And I, I just wanted to say all respect. It's just, I don't remember anything from the the score. I don't. I, I just don't. I don't either. It's, I'm not. What I'm not bad mouthing the guy. I just no, don't like to talk no. ill of anyone. It's just that uh, I, I didn't yes, you, hear yes, any music. Did. Yes, you did, Jason. Oh, yes, you just, did. For when it comes to scores, if it's not John Williams, if it's not one of the Jays, we we know you're going to rip into him. But yeah, I did not remember any music from this film. That's not a song, so it's okay. I got your back on this one. All right, I appreciate it, Bill. Thanks for being my friend. I got some deep questions. Yeah. Because I want this podcast to last for the next 24 hours. Yes, it could be our longest podcast ever. (laughs) It literally is. So this is amazing. I brought this up. Does Johnny really have it that bad? Is he homeless between seasons? I talked about this. Eating jujubes. Does he have, I mean, does he just need to work on saving his money in between seasons? And does he, I don't know. It just doesn't sound like he has it that bad. Do you think he has it that bad? Maybe lower middle class. Okay. Fair enough. We talked about Johnny and baby's relationship lasting. Here's my only other question. Bill Bant, because I know you're just a big, big fan of dancing movies. What's your favorite dance movie? Or or maybe what do you think is the best dance movie? And I have some to choose from. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Save the last dance. You got served. Step up. Step up to the streets. Or maybe maybe step up 3D. How about step up revolution or maybe step up all in? What about stomp the yard or maybe the company, the one with Nev Campbell? How about shall we dance or take the lead? Would you actually, would you consider silver linings playbook a dance movie? Wait, I, sorry, man. I know. I already know what your favorite dance movie. It's, it's magic Mike, maybe magic Mike XL. I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry. I just can't okay. hold back right now. I'm going to tell you what my personal favorite was. It's a movie called hustlers with JLo. That's my personal favorite. It's kind of funny because all those you mentioned until you got to Hustlers, I have seen those. <laughs> Amazing. I don't think I've seen any of them. Oh, really? But some of, them are actually, some of them are actually pretty good. I think I saw maybe Take the Lead, which is the Antonio Antonio Banderas one. Uh, I've seen Antonio uh, Banderas. You know, you know what's a good one? Strictly Ballroom. Oh, I, didn't, I missed that one. 
That was uh, I think that yeah. was early nineties. Yeah, there and you that go. Was, uh, that was that might be an Australian film. It's not. I know, I know it's a foreign film, and that was one of those. I kind of remember seeing like, oh, this isn't actually that bad. I don't know if that would be my answer answer because I'm trying not to think of like a musical. Right. Yeah. I didn't want to name all. Yeah. 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 Maybe step up. All right. There I'll you go. go. Hey, up. I'll go with step up. I, I was a bit being a little bit tongue. That's a I, good choice. I think that's a good choice. Step up. Is that the Channing Tatum? Uh, right. Yeah. He whose name is backwards, as yes. I always say, because I always want to call him Tatum Channing. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it works. Yeah. Which is also a solid name. It's no Johnny Castle, but still, oh, right. still solid name. Anyway, uh, step up. Good choice, man. And I was being tongue in cheek when I said Hustlers. I don't really consider that a dancing movie. There are yeah, exotic dancers in the film. But okay. And uh, finally, to be completely honest, uh, but not at all, I'm going to say my favorite dance film is Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. I was more of a Beat Street guy. Oh, see? Damn it. I saw that opening night twice. It's good stuff, Bill. Just good stuff from you tonight, Bill Bant. Always. I'm just continually impressed. Uh, I have some uh, closing thoughts, my man. I know it's we're, we're way over time, but I just got to throw this in there. I, I mean, Patrick Swayze, rest in peace. Yes. I am an enormous fan. I honestly think he made bad movies good. And I'm not saying by any means Dirty Dancing is a bad movie. Far from it. I'm just saying some t- movies would have been probably less than good or average had he not been in them. And the guy is just plain likable. thought he was a great actor, performer, dancer, action star. And he's a huge part of Unforgettable Films, both nostalgic and classic. I'm just going to name this handful of movies, The Outsiders, Dirty Dancing, Red Dawn, Ghost, and Point Break. I'll say it one more time. Iconic. And, uh, whoa, 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 you missed one roadhouse. Yes. That one, you know, roadhouse that's, that's always going to be probably my personal favorite. I don't know why I identify with that or res- that one resonates with me. I love the relationship with him and Sam Elliott, uh, in that film. And, uh, yeah, that, that podcast might be longer than this one when we find, finally yeah. decide to do roadhouse. And this is the Testament that I always say to everyone Testament that Pat Swayze, Patrick Swayze was a good actor and that how he could bring a less than average film up to average or better in quality is that in the film Roadhouse, when Kelly Lynch is examining uh, the scar he has or the wound injury he's gotten in a fight and she asks him, I think, is it, does it hurt? But his line is pain don't hurt. Pain don't hurt. It doesn't make any sense at all at all in any universe and he makes it work i don't know why is it just he has a magical quality and i'm just yeah and i will leave that at that thank you patrick swayze yes i can sort of pretend to understand why this film is beloved by women you know it's it for uh, it's the romantic fantasy of it all even if it's not on the screen it's what what you do see on the screen kind of inspires feelings and thoughts about the whole world, the universe. So the movie provides kind of a sensation that isn't necessarily visual, but it's more visceral. It's passion, it's physical, it's love and sexuality, and it's hot. The music, women love to fucking dance and women like beautiful men who can dance beautifully. So that's why I mentioned the comparison between Patrick Swayze and Derek Huff, because Derek Huff is literally the modern day Johnny Castle. 
and women can't get enough of that guy. And I get it. The dude is supremely uh, talented, is easy on the eyes, and it's just not rocket science. It's sexy. I believe that there's something also to the fact that if a man is in tune with his body and rhythmic athleticism, not just purely like body sculpting, muscle building, or competitive sports athleticism, but being in tune with himself rhythmically is a turn on. And using your body as an instrument to perform in a way to speak different emotions, it can be powerful and intoxicating. But that being said, I think, and I know women like to dance because it's fun. It's just fun. And you see Jennifer Grey having fun in this movie and she's experiencing joy. She says it herself in the Diane Sawyer movie that dancing is joy. And I get it now. I understand why I think this movie is such a, not just a big hit with, with the ladies, but uh, with everybody out there. So I can't recommend the movie enough. I would definitely recommend it. It's uh, It's got its place. And it's, uh, like I said, at the very top, it has extreme staying power. So check it out for the dancing, check it out for the music. And I do not recommend trying to do the lift yourself like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone did in Crazy Stupid Love or any of the wedding videos you might find on YouTube. Don't do it without any serious training. Seriously, don't. Just don't. All right. Jason, a little PSA there at the end. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I'll be very brief on this one. I got to say I'm happy we decided to do this movie for the yeah, series because watching it definitely put the whole movie in a new light for me. And I definitely, kind of what you said, I agree too. It is a fun movie. You should check it out. You know, if your girlfriend's going to make you watch this movie, watch it. It is well shot. It is good acting. Yeah. So that, yeah. So you're not suffering through bad acting or out of focus shots or anything like that. The plot. Yes. There's some issues, but there's a, a lot of good moments and the dancing is fun to watch. So if you have not seen it, impress your girlfriend check it out or get your girlfriends together again. If you haven't seen it in a while, uh, have a girl's night and just watch it again and relive all the, all the fun. I'm surprisingly cannot recommend this enough. Oh, good. Dirty you had a dramatic pause there. I, was like, I know. I was, yeah. I was like, boom, I was, boom. Yeah. I was putting it in there. So yeah, definitely check out dirty dancing. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of our Summer at the Cinema series. Our third movie will be Bull Durham, starring Kevin Costner, Tim Robbins, and Susan Sarandon. As always, please subscribe and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world.